It's 420, everybody, you know. Whenever I can, don't need no crutch. I'm so keyed up, so the joint be burning my hand. Next time I roll it in a half, good choice, Dave. Good choice for 420. I gotta tell you, thanks, man. Thanks. Brings back my adolescence. And if you know that song, then you're old school. You're an old school smoker like me, and an old school advocate, and you love cannabis and all that stuff. Welcome to the Daily Attic Podcast. It's your boy Tim and your boy Dave. What's up? We have a very exciting episode today with a very special guest. Today we have Andrew D'Angelo, co-founder of Harborside in California, one of the nation's biggest dispensaries. Not only that, but he's also heading a big project with his brother Steve, the Last Prisoner Project, to help prisoners who are a victim of this drug war be released from prison for cannabis crimes. Welcome to the show. Well, happy 420, Tim and Dave, and everybody out there today. I hope you're celebrating. We're in a, a different world with the pandemic, but um, I, I see our community is blowing up all over the internet today. So hopefully, we won't crash it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It's um, it's it's a interesting holiday, and I wanted to cover a little bit about the history of 420 because I wasn't aware of that. Uh, myself but it you know i was trying to figure out where did this 420 start and i think it started out on the west coast i think it's a california thing back in uh 71 uh some guys coined it i don't know are you aware of anything about yeah well not only uh, not only am i aware of it i've met the original waldo <laughs> they're, they're, they're called the waldos and and they were a group of high school students like you said uh quite some time ago and they used to gather at the hour of 420 after school underneath a statue of Louis Pasteur uh, <laughs> over in Mill Valley, California, which is right across the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. Uh, and that community gave birth to a lot of counterculture icons, uh, most notably probably the Grateful Dead yeah. uh, and all the subsequent authors shoots of the Grateful Dead came, uh, many of them, not all of them, certainly, um, from that community. So the Waldos used to go around and say, hey, I'll meet you at 420 um, to all their friends in high school. And and then what happened was um, there was something called the Hemp Tour in the 1980s. Uh, and the Hemp Tour um, sort of adopted this 420 slogan and started to make bumper stickers uh, celebrating 420 that then got picked up by the Grateful Dead and the Grateful Dead tour. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. Uh, hemp tour in those days, if you wanted to go on tour with a cannabis activist program or initiative, you would follow the Grateful Dead tour because uh, a lot of counterculture people would be gathered in one place and you could, you know, sell them a little weed and make a little money to get to the next town mm -hmm. uh, to do to do the next uh, event for whatever the activism was. So, so hemp tour, which was designed to weigh, weigh, raise awareness about hemp after Jack Herr wrote his book, Emperor Wears No Clothes, um, uh, sort of popularized this 420 slogan that the Waldos invented uh, way back in 72. The Grateful Dead picked it up, and then once the Grateful Dead picked it up, High Times picked it up, and then once uh, all that happened, you know, the rest is history, as we would say. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Thank you for that. And you know what? Who else on 420 has this knowledge on their podcast coming out like that? I, you know, I expected you would know about it, but, man, thank you, because I was I was reading about it and, it, and there's also some false narratives going on out there that it was a code for the police, uh, marijuana right. smoking in progress or something, you know, silly. But right. Yeah, it's very interesting. And a lot of the culture out there, it's, it's embedded over there. And a lot of the, you know, when you have in California the medicinal laws with the passing of that and then with the recreational, and you've been involved there from the beginning, now in Michigan, we have some parallels because in Michigan, we've done that as well. We've gone with um, medical, uh, you know, we had the medical marijuana first by caregivers, then by um, business establishment and now recreational too. So we're following almost the path, but it's a little, you guys are, are definitely, you know, the, uh, 
the trailblazers here. But um, well, I'm I'm proud of Michigan and what you've done there, and there are a lot of parallels because one of the problems you're having in Michigan, we've had in California since we passed adult use. This was less of a problem under medical, but it was still a problem, and that's local people banning dispensaries and licenses from from happening in local communities i think michigan has something like 70 percent bans california's got like 60 percent out here right yeah it's it's ridiculous yeah you know and and so we can pat ourselves on the back because we've won the war okay we got legal uh and that was the war but now it's funny it's like a war in reverse (laughs) now we have all these battles now it's just one battle after another for probably a generation or two that we're going to have to fight um uh whether it be getting people out of prison or whether it be convincing a local community that you know what it's okay to have dispensaries or cannabis companies in your community we will bring benefits not harm yeah like but they'll have liquor stores but just to get back onto that point we were talking about that in our last episode is um, the fact that now that it it's supposed to be like the law here was treat medical, treat marijuana like you would liquor. It's basically, you know, uh, regulate marijuana like liquor law. So but the thing is, it's the total opposite. It's like they you know, you got to test everything. You got to have everything tested by a third party DEA registered yeah. testing facility. You got to pay all these enormous fines and fees and all this licensing and make sure you go through the rigmarole. It was so difficult to get a medical license in Michigan. It was literally easier to open a casino in Michigan. That's how difficult it was. So I guess, you know, fighting the fight, getting back to that. Fighting the fight came at a cost for us because now we're we're so heavily scrutinized and regulated even more than I think needs be in most instances that it's made it hard for the business to compete with the person that's growing too. You know, it's just because it's like in Michigan, we have caregivers and I know yep. in California you can grow your own. Uh, I believe you can. I don't, I'm not familiar, but some of these yep. challenges, like it came at a price, basically. I think, do you think it would be, if it, if the market was more open, do you think it would be better? Or if the market was a little, you know, obviously the tighter the market, the more cost for everybody. But how, what do you well, think the solution listen, is I'm, going forward with that? We've got to open these markets up. We have the same problem in California. It's, it's, it's probably a little bit different than it is in Michigan. You can grow your own cannabis at home if you're an adult in, in California, up to six plants, 12 plants per household, I believe, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, but uh, this, 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 this comparison to alcohol, to get back to what you first said, really bothers me. Yeah, um, it's yeah. something that also, Steve and I, my brother Steve and I, those of you, a lot of your listeners may know on my brother Steve, We've been talking about this for some time. It just drives me nuts, man. It's just, it's not alcohol. We're not a toxic substance. What happens when you drink alcohol is totally different than what happens when you, you don't have an endo alcohol system. Right. Uh, um, you know, it's crazy. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just a lack of imagination by elected officials and politicians and lobbyists and that whole stakeholder class that, that, you know, has not prepared our country very well for a pandemic. True. Um, they haven't, they also haven't done a very good job with legalizing cannabis. And, and you're absolutely right. Our community has been hurt. Uh, legacy growers in California have been doing this for generations, have been forced back to the legacy illicit market, not because they don't want to be legal. They do. They can't, they can't jump through all the hoops. They can't afford yeah. it. Right. Um, um, they, the, the application itself is crazy. Um, uh, and, and this is California where we have a much longer history and much more developed cannabis culture than, than you do in Michigan. And, and we still, despite that culture raising hell and we still haven't been able to fix proposition 64 is what the, the number of the proposition was called in California that legalized weed. Uh, for adults, and that framework just has not worked. And eighty percent of our transactions are still in the legacy market. I call it legacy market. Some people call it illicit market. 
Um, and uh, and we're, we're, the goal is to create one big market that all of us can participate in. I don't care how small you are or how big you are. Um, it should have both profit and nonprofit models within it. Um, people that just want to um, uh, have a small little cottage business should be able to participate. Uh, and we can make our supply chain safe for the public with a lot less of the packaging and the testing and some of the other things that are required. And if we're going to do testing, uh, and I'm all for testing, Steve and I in Harborside invented the lab test uh, for, for cannabis. We were the first dispensary ever to do that. So um, we started the first cannabis lab, C-Pill Laboratories. So, so we're all for lab testing, but, but let's be smart about it. Right. Let's make sure that if there's an enormous cost associated with it, that we help companies with that cost, maybe from some of this tax money that we're raising, um, uh, that we leverage, we make sure that the public is participating in these things that are designed to protect the public, not just the industry having to do that or the burden on a small farmer or a small business owner. Um, right. because those, those costs are just enormously yeah. difficult, you know, but when we had the medical program out here and we had a nonprofit model, um, it was different in Michigan, but, but in the early days of the medical program here, you could get your business open literally in your kitchen or in your spare room or in your backyard, you could get something going that provided for your family. And then if you did a really good job, you could figure out a way to scale up. Yeah, um, yeah. and maybe not, maybe not scale up to be this big giant thing. Okay. Right. But just, just scale up. So you have 50 employees, you know, or 25 employees or, or even and, two to three or even two to three. Two you to, know what I mean? It or, doesn't matter. And yeah. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. That is, you know, and that's what I thought they would do here in Michigan. They fumbled the ball so bad here. They fumbled the ball yeah. so bad because they came here out. You, you had a caregiver law that allowed it allowed a caregiver to care for five patients up to sixty plants, and there was thirty thousand of us. There was thirty thousand of us. Thirty to fifty thousand of us. We they were, should have just each given you each a distribution license. Oh man. please, Boom. yes, you're you're preaching Done. to the choir, brother. If they would have did that, they would have raised so much money. But they've Done. they punted it back and forth trying to get, and they were so happy they got a million dollars in their first week of recreational say i'm like are you kidding me if you would have let the caregivers get in the market and get their thing you would have had like 500 you'd have had like 50 million your first freaking you know but probably had, the 10th week was only a hundred thousand once the novelty wore off right, right? yeah possibly um, that's what happened in california yeah, had yeah. a line around the block the first week yeah and then Crazy. everybody said "F this i'm not paying all these taxes i'm going back to the my friend down the street yeah I mean, that's the way you know? it is here because really, you know, you know, as well as I do that it, it, it doesn't, every, every grower is not the same, right? Growing, growing quality marijuana is not an easy task. You know, it's not something that you can just, you know, you have to have a talent for, it. you have to have a love for it. You have to care for it. I mean, there's a lot to it. And, um, yeah, yeah I mean, if I haven't seen any, uh, sorry, no, I haven't good. seen any fine, fine cannabis grown at a really large scale. Right. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. There's some there's some companies out here that have fairly large indoor grow operations. I'm sure that's starting to happen in Michigan too. Yeah. And they're trying really hard to dial it in so that they can charge fifty, fifty five, sixty before tax and eight. Oh. Um and they're trying to get that same craft cannabis quality that, that we were able to get um uh you know, that people are able to get to this right. day in a in a smaller because the plant loves attention, you know the cannabis plant just loves attention. I can She's tell like, you, I don't know. Yeah, as man. soon as I as soon as I put music in my in my flower rooms, it was like a magical experience. It was like a <laughs> total magical experience, man. I would walk in there when the lights are off, and the the leaves would be standing straight up. I mean, straight up. I had strains; they would stand straight up from the time. I mean, I don't know when these plants got any rest. It's like they were just they were stimulated. Yeah. They loved it. And they yeah. were green. They were beautiful. They are. That's yeah. what I did. I went and invested in, in a sound system and they, they wow. like, I just play like pop music and uh, man, you can really tell the difference. They, they like uh, attention. Like you said, it's a living thing. Yeah. It's not like, uh, you know, it's yeah. not like a factory setting, you know, it should be, I don't know. I, 
have my own thoughts on it, but I just think that they're still struggling. Even it's hearing that from you, somebody that's involved in all these facets of it and knows from growing, processing, retail, business, brand, everything that a large scale still hasn't met the quality of maybe a small connoisseur type grower. I mean, that's a big news for me. I mean, that, that gives me hope because I know that's what I, that's what I strive to be. That's what I want to be. I want to be somebody that's bringing something to the game and, you know, providing something that's unique. And I think, um, you can't really do that if you're trying to just do it for bottom dollar either. You know, if you're just doing it for bottom dollar, I think that, you know, it might, you might want to just do a different industry, honestly. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I'll disagree with you a little bit there, but, um, you know, <laughs> uh, um, our investors probably wouldn't be so thrilled that I say that because we do have large farms and we do grow at a large scale. Okay. But, I um, got you. Um, uh, but I, I believe that, you know, we have 7 billion people on this planet and all of them need cannabis and they all need access to as high a quality cannabis as we can provide at the lowest possible price that we can provide. Yeah. And if I, if I thought that, you know, a planet full of small grows could get that job done, I, I that's the model I would advocate, but I just don't think we can. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that, you know, we're going to need corporate cannabis to, to achieve that goal because, you know, the free market corporate world is very good at delivering good, particularly good, um, but also services uh, to a wide, um, in a, 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 a large scale to lots of people right. um, uh, at, a, at, a, at a good price. So we need that. But what we don't need that comes with that is this unrelenting greed um, where they want to lock everybody else out of the market and, and, and take it all. Yeah. Uh, and that's not acceptable either. Yeah. And I will you know, I will always, and I know my brother Steve talked about this also, we'll always talk about a cannabis ecosystem that's inclusive of everyone. Cause we all have our role to play right. and the craft grower like yourself, you're, you know, that cannabis ought to be a little bit more expensive. It's, it's going to be a higher quality. It's going to have a lot more care put into it. It's probably going to have some branding and packaging that also reflects that. Um, and, uh, it's gonna be well taken care of and, and, and it ought to be more expensive because you need to recoup all of that extra energy that you've put into it. Yeah. Uh, um, and, 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 and that, that place in the ecosystem is not available if, you know, quote unquote, corporate cannabis is taking the whole market. Yeah. So, so I, 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 that's the vision that I'd like to see, you know, I, I don't see how craft cannabis can, you know, make enough distillate oil to satisfy the vape pen market, for example. Right. Yeah. Um, or, yeah, that or is, even, that is amazing. Know? That is amazing. When you look at the amount of distillate and stuff it takes to, you know, that you have to amount the amount of, um, biomass that you have to process you know to get yeah, you know the distance exactly. just to feed the market because this younger generation is coming up with so many different creative ways to ingest cannabis i can't even keep up with it i mean i don't i don't know there's stuff you plug into the wall there's stuff that you you know light on fire i don't know there's all kinds of stuff out there people are doing that wasn't available to me like dabs right. and live rosin and stuff like that yeah. i'm getting into yeah. pressing my own flower and stuff so all this stuff's exciting. I think there's further, I think we can go a little further with it too. You know, I think there's going to be this with technology and science and everything. I think we're going to, you know, we're going to be able to fill that market for sure. Um, and I know what you're saying on the large scale. I agree with you on that a hundred percent because I mean, we, we do need a world full of smokers. First of all, <laughs> if you're going to make a yeah. law about it, you should smoke it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I believe that the plant is smarter than we are. I mean, here I am, 52 years old. I've been working on, with the plant since I was 15. I have smuggled her and grown her, and transported her, sold her all over this country, all over the world <laughs> in the, you know, since I've been doing this since age 15. And I've been in complete service, 
some might even say slavery, <laughs> um, to cannabis. Now she's been good to me and, um, uh, I've, I've lived a very exciting, interesting life despite getting busted and despite having some downturns here and there. Um, but, um, there, so she's smart and she does a lot of the work for us as, as we have all experienced the yeah. transformation that happens within you when you get turned on to cannabis, what happens to your value system, what happens to what's important to you, what happens to who's important to you, uh, all those things get transformed in some way, shape or form. Usually for most of us that go on the cannabis journey and have, once we get it, that's what the plant does. That's the magic of the plant. And, and she'll do that for everybody or most people. Um, as long as they don't have a bad experience or, or do something they, 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 you know, misuse her early in their, in their experiences with her. Um, but that will happen and then she'll do the job for us. And then, you know, we'll see a world, the world will transform. There will be a new value system as more and more people get turned on to, to cannabis and, and we'll begin to see some equilibrium and balance come Anyway, that's the grand vision I think we all hold in our hearts, right? Yeah, that's a great summary of it. I think even, and then even when you start talking about throwing hemp in there to change the world, um, I think that it's it's really going to be a huge revolution. And, you know, 420 needs to be a national holiday. I think they should. Uh -huh. I think pretty soon. It already is. It, it's it, a strange thing, man. It is. I mean, it, it is. is already a huge holiday. <laughs> and, it, and, 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 and what's so cool about it is this authentic holiday because you couldn't really make it an official holiday. So it's an unofficial official holiday. There you go. And, and, it, and in some ways, enjoy this moment, man, because, yes, it will uh, eventually become an official holiday. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and it's, God only knows how it'll get ruined a little bit that way. Um, yeah, uh, true, but Right, true. right? Yeah. Um, or, it, and it'll also, a bunch of other cool things will happen when that happens, too. It won't all be bad. There'll be some really cool stuff. Right. Um, imagine big, giant, you know, events once we're able to event again together yeah um uh but uh uh it's it, so i think we should just really enjoy the unofficial officialness of it right now and 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 continue to let it be an authentic thing someday some group of young people is going to come along and they're going to hit an idea that's so good that everyone will sort of coalesce around it and you know, that will be the 420 thing. Um, uh, or maybe not, maybe it'll be a decentralized thing. Um, uh, our community tends to like decentralized things a little bit more than centralized things. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. Either way, either way, we love, we love, we love the fact that we have our own special day. And, and if you've, been around long enough to remember when you took a day off work and it, your boss wasn't suspicious. Now everybody knows what 420 is. Now you're taking off 420, huh? Wait, what are you doing on 420? Why are you staying yeah. home on 420? Oh yeah, boss, I got a, uh, I got an event. I got an event I got to do. It's a little easier when it's a Monday or Friday. When it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, sometimes it's a, you know that's a little bit harder. <laughs> I've been treating 420 the whole. I've been treating the whole weekend like it's 420. So. I'm, it, well, however I'm feeling tomorrow during the day, that's one thing, but I'm going to make sure that I'm somewhere lighting up at 420 to, to honor the ritual. And I know all my brothers and sisters, all the, all my cannabis advocates and people that, you know, know the real deal are around the world, all doing the same thing at the same time on the same day, because it's about yep. the journey. It's about the journey. And, you know, ever since I've been smoking this, uh, wonderful plant since I was 16, I always knew there would be a day it would be legal. I always knew it in my head. I knew that somehow that smoking cigarettes and smoking weed, it just didn't make sense to me why cannabis was, you know, uh, treated the way it was. And be, to be living in this time is so exciting. It's so exciting. And, and the kids, the younger generations, yeah, we need to bring them in more because they're, they're coming up, they're, they're coming into a thing that's already established and they're, you know, we got to make sure that they're not spoiled. They're not spoiled. You know what I mean? <laughs> they got to Hey, sometimes yeah. you got to get a couple pebbles in the bag. Maybe there's going to be a stick or two. Hey, 
you got sometimes you might have to score some brown no nope, not them they didn't have to go through the struggles of some of those things now it's a it's a whole nother fight you know it's a whole nother thing like with this vaping and with the e uh acetate yeah. and all this other stuff but yeah it's yeah, uh yeah. i think they're coming into the game they're definitely got a lot more selection than we had when we were you know when we when we were 21 i'm sure yeah well and more access right um uh eat, despite all the problems with community saying no to dispensaries and 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 the clumsiness of legalization, regulation, taxation definitely have not gotten that right yet. But despite all that, uh, the access that younger generations have to cannabis is much greater than it was when I was 16 in 1983, certainly. And more importantly, the cultural definition of cannabis is, is quickly becoming a positive branding not a negative branding and and so they're exposed to positive branding when i was 16 years old they marched you into a big assembly with all the school there and some cops got on stage with their full regalia on and they the first thing they said is two high school kids three blocks from here smoked a joint after school and dropped dead on the spot <laughs> yeah yeah and they yeah. would and it, remember it was called yeah. Scare them straight. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it was this whole campaign they did in the 1980s. And they would go up there and they would lie. They would bold face lie. And then when you would catch them with the lie, you would show them like some research or something. They say, oh, yeah, we knew we were lying. We're trying to scare you straight. Doesn't matter if we lie. We're allowed right. to lie yeah, they because we're going to scare you straight. Yeah. Um, and it was the most outrageous thing. That's what the world was like when I was 16, maybe when you guys were 16 too, yeah. that's what it well, was like. When I was 16, okay. we had dare. So. Yeah, we had dare yeah. and it was not effective either. It was actually a good introduction to everything at that point. It wasn't really, to me, I was like, damn, that's what that looks like. I'm like, sweet. Yeah. My dad's got one of those on his dresser. I think I'm going to try to smoke it now. Thanks. What does it make you what euphoric? What does that mean? Let me figure that out. Oh, I want to be happy. I want to yeah. be happy. So it's just a, yeah, it's a failure of, of that kind of system when, when you're coming up like that, that's uh crazy. Yeah. We have Dave's actual dare certificate here. Um, representing. Oh, you passed. Dave. I graduated. So I graduated. He, graduated. he did. Straight he to cocaine. Actually, yeah. Straight to cocaine right out of there. So, uh, but no, it's, uh, a wonderful experience. Uh, um, you know, this whole journey with cannabis has been a wonderful experience. And I hope when you're listening to this, all of our, our, our fellow friends and the people that support the DAT, when you're listening to this on 420 and your blaze sitting there, I want you to think of all of the advocates and people that fought to get you to where you're at. Just give a little bit of thanks. Give a little bit of like if you could virtually pour out a little liquor, but with a joint, maybe you want to blow a little ring for somebody or something. But just think about all the pioneers before you that have fought. Think about the. uh the 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 people the growers in the emerald triangle that had to put up with uh you know there was a military invasion on their grow back in the 70s and then think about all the people that are sitting in jail like christian reichert who's in illinois state prison right now serving 23 years for 20 pounds of pot that wasn't even his and then you have uh, like the gentleman here um, in Michigan that we're going to talk about. Um, I think this is a good time. I think this is a good segue to go right into the last prisoner project, because not only are you a, a, a cannabis advocate and someone who's helped pioneer this industry, but also you're very passionate about the people sitting behind bars for this plant and you're doing something about it. Um, you care to share that with us? Sure. Nothing pleases me more than to advocate for our prisoners and the last prisoner project. So about a year ago, you know, Steve and I, we've been busted. We've been locked up. Uh, many of our friends have not only been busted and locked up, but were in some cases shot and killed by the police. So we have a very personal understanding of what the darkest part of the war on cannabis has been and 
we're also very aware that we're standing on the shoulders of others, as you just said. And, 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 you know, cannabis has been prohibited for a hundred years and people have been getting locked up, white, brown, poor, black people, uh, all, all religions and creeds have been locked up and millions of years of human life has been caged because of cannabis. And now cannabis is legal in many, many places and it's publicly traded on the Canadian stock exchange and other places. And there are literally people making intergenerational wealth selling weed right now and selling a lot more weed than Michael Thompson, who's in in jail in Michigan for life for selling. I think it was a few pounds of cannabis. And then the gentleman you just mentioned, 20 pounds in Illinois. Uh, These companies sell more weed than that in half an hour or an hour uh, than, than, than those folks have. And, and this is a tremendous injustice that we absolutely have to correct. And, you know, I'm not going to be able to sleep at night. Harborside's a publicly traded company and Harborside's a, a big cannabis company. I mean, we're and and, and, you know, it's important that, that those of us who've been able to navigate this legal industry and create companies that are somewhat successful despite all the constraints that we give back and that we get these folks out of prison. So last prisoner project works on that. Uh, and we work with cannabis companies to, to raise money for big programs like, um, reentry program. We have a reentry program with harvest, which is a multi-state uh, cannabis company and they, they've funded to the tune of six figures. Um, uh, a program to educate prisoners so that they can re-enter, get jobs in the cannabis industry, not just train them, but hire them. Uh, and then we try to place prisoners in the cannabis industry so that they can get a, a good paying job or a decent paying job with decent benefits right out of the gate. We also do uh, advocacy work with expungement um, and clemency. So, so expungement is, is you, you're out of jail, but you have a record and we, and, and you shouldn't have a record anymore because you shouldn't never have been busted in the first place. And that record is like a ball and chain on you, whether it be your credit report or whether it be trying to get an apartment or buy a house or apply for a job. This, this record just really destroys people's ability to, to, to rebuild their life when they get out of prison. So we need to expunge those records. And so last prisoner project works on that. Uh, and then we work on clemency. Clemency is you're, you're in jail still. Uh, you've already been convicted by a jury of your peers. You've been sentenced, and the only way to get out at this point is for a governor or a president to pardon you. Uh, it works a little def- different in each state, uh, but, but that's what it takes, uh, and that's a very hard thing to do because governors and presidents are very risk-averse, and they don't want to grant clemency to someone that might go out and do something terrible and, and, and sort of blow back on them politically. So they're reluctant to do it. Um, and we've got 40,000 people in prison for week. Uh, and that's the, 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 that, that number could be much higher. That's just what we know. Um, uh, and there's a lot of, that we don't know because um, these records are not very easily accessed or, or not very well kept in the first place. That's, so that's just, what is last that- per- is that That's what LPP does? Is that is that for federal? Is that forty thousand federal prison, and then that doesn't count? I think like local and state, or I mean, I'm, um, that's forty thousand uh, that we know of, including state and local okay, and federal okay. all together. Um, okay. um, um, I'm sure the number is much higher than that. When you include people like who smoked a joint when they were on parole and they failed the drug test, yeah. Okay? And so they're in the joint for 90 days or six months because they have a violation. We're not counting those people. So that could be 80,000 or a hundred thousand people right there. Right. right? Um, Because that's how you get locked up. A lot of times when you're under parole is you smoke a joint. You're so stressed out from being out of prison. You're broke. You don't have any money. You're trying to repair relationships. You're trying to get a job, You're trying to get a place to live. You've got this record. You have to disclose you have a record. 
Um, and it's really hard. And so you're stressed out. So you smoke weed. Right. Of course you of smoke course. weed. I would smoke weed. You'd smoke weed. We'd all smoke weed. Um, um, and then you fail your, your piss test and, and next thing you know, you're back in the joint. Um, so this is terrible thing that happens. Uh, uh, so that's a whole nother reform we have to do on, on, on bail and probation. But, but, um, but that's what Last Prisoner Project does. We have a website, lastprisonerproject.org. We've got all kinds of events happening today on 420. You can check out. Um, you can make a donation there. You can sign our petition. We're trying to get prisoners out early, even earlier because of COVID-19. Uh, they've got all these prisoners that are exposed to the virus in a pretty intense way. And, and a lot of our constituents are over the age of 50 or 60 and, and um, many people in prison have compromised immune systems because they're in prison and prison is not a environment where you can have anything but a compromised immune system. Um, so people develop diabetes in prison because the food's so bad and, and on and on all this terrible thing happens, happens to you when you're in prison. So, um, uh, it's a very vulnerable population. So we're trying to get them out and, uh, I hope your listeners will check out our website for a minute and make a small donation. It would be very helpful to us. Yeah, I'm on there right now. Um, the site looks good. There's a way. There's a button at the top that says Get Involved. So if you guys go to the lastprisonerproject.org, uh, click on Get Involved, there's ways that you can sign petitions. And then there's a Donate button there. Make sure you, you know, support. We're, we're big about support. We're about, you know, gaining alliances we have to you know we have to look out for each other because nobody's looking out for us um i'm looking at the stories of the last prisoner project and i'm looking at michael thompson it looks yep. like he's doing 25 years um well actually during the 25 years life. he spent yeah life for three pounds of holy of shit three pounds a week it was his third strike, you know, and they did these crazy th three strikes in your outlaws. And I remember when they were talking about passing those laws, we spoke out against them. And we said, look, you're going to, you're going to have people in life for prison for weeks. Right. Um, yeah. um, and the whole idea of the three strikes law, the whole idea that the people advocating for it were, was that career criminals should be in prison. Um, uh, and that was the whole, you know, justification for it. Um, uh, it, it. That line of thinking seems absolutely crazy and outdated and antiquated to us now in the year 2020 when, you know, the, the cause of social justice reform is sort of, is, is so in right now that the President Trump signed a bill, got a bill through Congress and signed it for social justice reform. It wasn't as broad a bill as we would like. It didn't create as much reform as we would like because, you know, it's all about incremental change in politics, unfortunately. Um, but, but it, we got, we, we were able to get that done. Um, and so it's, 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 it's Michael Thompson is doing life mm. and he's a diabetic. He's in his early sixties, I think. Um, and we have a clemency petition at the governor's desk right now. The actual prosecutor, uh, the district attorney, I believe, or the prosecutor in his um, district where he was convicted, it's not the same prosecutor that convicted him because that guy retired. Um, he's been in jail 25 years. So that guy got to retire a while ago, having a nice retirement somewhere. Um, right. But the new prosecutor uh, wrote a letter in support of the clemency petition. Nice. Um, to the governor. So we're really, really when that happens, it, that gives the governor a lot of cover, a lot of political cover, because they can say, oh, well, the prosecutor advocated for it. So I was just listening to the advice of the prosecutor. Right. Um, and they can, they can, you know, that gives them political cover. Um, and, and these folks always need political cover. Um, so we're really hopeful, fingers crossed, any day now he could get out. Any day now he could get out with that the COVID-19 and the that would so, be so, awesome. and as soon as he does, we'll have a big celebration on our website and, and I hope a little video, it's kind of hard to get. And maybe a podcast here with maybe, you man, you're <laughs> local, you're <laughs> that, local. That, yes, we are. We're going to stay yeah, on and top Michael, of it. Michael is a real activist. 
um, um, and he, I'm sure he would come on and, and talk about his experience. Um, and, and, and the, the story of the prisoners is way more interesting than the story of me um, talking about them. Uh, so, um, yeah, man, let's make that happen if, if, if we spring them. Um, yeah, we got to um, get him out of there. So, listeners, be activists. You know, we don't ask for a lot. We just ask that you, you know, do a little bit clicking here and there and get involved with things. Uh, we can definitely do that. And then we can also, we're going to refer Tina Reichert to you too. Her her uh, son, uh, we just had the last, like I said, our last episode was with uh, with her and uh, her story and his story. And it was just a lot of circumstantial evidence for a young man. Uh, got caught in kind of like the wrong wrong place at the wrong time type deal too. I mean, not that he was, was he free. driving a load or something. No, it was actually it was stored in a garage that in a house he was renting. Um, but he he drove with his friend to Oregon uh, to to score, and then they came back to Illinois, and they put you know that's where they found that's where they seized it in the garage of the house of the lake house he was renting for the few months he was there. But they, but he got twenty three years, and there was no prior, wow, um, you know, drug dealing, or he had no priors on his record. He had wow, a clean that's record. outrageous! And uh, actually, the prosecutor in the case recommended forty. And outrageous! Yes, he ended up doing twenty. Uh, well, he's 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 four. He's been in there four, and with good time, he has another seven to go with everything. He's completed college courses and stuff like that, but. Um, his mom is fighting really hard for him right now to get get him out of this situation because it was there was a lot going on between the prosecutors. Not there was a lot involved with the case. Uh, I'm not going to go into all the details, but uh, it's just no. Have a, a reach classic, out, man. Yeah, man. I will. This, that's what LPP is there for. Exactly that. Um, and so uh, we would love to make him one of our constituents for sure. And, you know, um, anybody out there who is in a similar situation, reach out to the Last Prisoner Project. You can also reach out to me personally at Andrew at AndrewDeAngelo.com. I'm, I'm easy to find and I'd be happy to, to help. Uh, our mission is for every single prisoner. It doesn't matter where they're locked up. It doesn't matter if they're even locked up in Malaysia. Um, we want to hear from people, you know, right now <laughs> we're pretty focused on the United States, but we have ambitions to be a global advocacy group and to, to do this all across the world. Uh, it's heartbreaking when you hear these stories, like that young man um, who's doing 23 years, you gotta be kidding me, no priors. Um, I don't care if you had a few hundred pounds of weed in that safe house, give me a fr- freaking break. Right. Um, yeah. You know, that's outrageous. You know, Harborside sells a couple hundred pounds of weed a month, a right, month. Right. Um, um, so. Damn, you're you, looking you know, at life. On, you know, I know. You're looking at triple life. <laughs> and, 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 and to take that much time away from somebody, take any time away from somebody. But, but the fact that you've already been in there four years is just. It, it's beyond four years too much and illinois yeah. illinois is now uh medical and recreational illinois is now recreational that's the part and that they kills just me named cannabis essential they yeah, just named exactly. it essential. that's the same thing in michigan okay. you got people you sitting me? in jail you got michael thompson sitting in prison on a life sentence for cannabis that is an essential need of our public in this time of covid it is it is a it is a huge slap in the face um, for the, for the guys that are struggling and the guys that are, you know, sitting in prison, um, very, yeah, it's, it's just, oh, a, yeah, man. It's a very I mean, your twist. mental health, your mental health in prison, watching the news right now, seeing cannabis be called essential and you're sitting in there for three pounds a week oh. or whatever it is. Um, it, 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 boy, I, I, it's, it would be hard not to get very depressed. Um, and, or very angry, um, in that situation, I certainly would be feeling both of those Mm. emotions quite strongly, um, if I was locked up in Illinois and, you know, the prosecutor saying lock him up for 40 years and the governor saying that cannabis is essential during a pandemic. Um, there's something very, very wrong with that picture and there's something rotten in Denmark, man. Mm Mm-hmm. That's been the problem with the stigma. Once we get some of these uh, 
older generation and i'm not i don't mean by you know age i'm talking about their thought process once we start getting some of these you know some of these advocates in office some of the people that are living through this stuff and through our culture now that actually go on the internet and actually talk to people and actually investigate things before they pass judgment on them you know if we get these start getting these people in office things are going to change a lot and that's what we need to you know, that's part of the reform project. That's part of being reformed is reforming from within because a lot of these laws that they pass, they need to have expiration dates on some of these laws to see how it goes. You know, they, they pass this law, then three years later, it's a terrible fucking law. And it's like, well, now we got to make a law to unlaw, you know, to, 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 you know, rescind yeah. that law. And that's another 10 year process. Cause you know, getting a law passed is not like, you know, I come up with an idea, I, I, call my congressman and then next year it's a law it's a very it's a very big you know you have to have lobbyists and there's a lot involved with that stuff so a lot of this stuff is so overwhelming to get reversed and unturned it's going to take like you said the whole community it's going to take everybody because it just can't be a few people it just can't be you know the andrews and the tim and daves and the claudia mirandis and the justin neils and all in doug mcveigh and all these people that are advocates it it's going to take more than that it's going to take everybody you know it's, it really is yep. it's a huge monumental task here we're, we're trying to do but you know we just keep fighting the fight keep fighting the good fight um and keep it positive i think that's the biggest the biggest key is you got to find positive in these little victories we have to remain positive even when we get kicked down a little bit. Oh yeah. I mean, look, the wind is at our backs and the overall giant picture of things, you know, we've already talked a little bit about what the 1980s looked like for cannabis people. Um, I remember, you know, my second day of school, I wore this t-shirt that had a big pot leaf on it because, you know, I had, I brought half a pound of weed with me to college <laughs> and I needed to sell it. And so I figured if I wore a pot leaf shirt, I would at least meet some other kids that, you know, were into weed. Um, and I could not walk across campus without the campus police stopping me and giving me a lecture. And, uh, one of the campus advisors giving me a lecture and then somebody in my department giving me a lecture. And I literally, you know, felt so bad and so ashamed and so criticized and judged. I went back to the dorm and changed the shirt. Right, um, right. And, and that was the world we lived in. Okay. And the world we live in now, if you don't have a weed leaf on your shirt, you're not cool. Right. Um, uh, and so it's a much different time. We've come so far. We must pat ourselves on the back. Always feel positive. One of the things that the plant teaches us is that it's our job to be happy people. Uh, the plant is there to assist us <laughs> when we're down and feeling blue and feeling low. She'll be there for us. Um, um, but our spiritual journey and, and emotional journey to happiness is one that we're all responsible for as individuals. And, you know, I took that responsibility very seriously as a very young man and, 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 you know, cannabis helps us do the internal work that's needed to be a happy person, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter whatever, you know, you might be flying high, you never made more money and you've got the best job and you've got a lot of meaning in your life. You're flying high. Well, there'll be a day where you're not so hot and you're low because there's a pandemic and you lost your job or there's something out of your control or somebody gets busted or whatever it is. Um, and it, that moment too, we need, that's when we need the positive energy the most. Um, yeah. so, so I encourage everyone to do that internal work, keep being in communion with cannabis because she'll, she'll teach us that, that, you know, it's, it's, it's being happy and positive is, uh, the only way to live, really, <laughs> it's the only way to live if you want a good night's sleep and, and, and to fall in love and to appreciate the simple things. All those things require a basic level of internal happiness. Yeah. And respect, respect for the plant respect oh, for yeah. her. I love it. How you refer to her as her, because that's a, 
you know, the male plant, the male plant does not get any recognition in this thing. You know that. Well, it's all, it's, it's, all, it's all the female. <laughs> it's all the female. Like if you're if you're on Instagram or Twitter or anything and you follow anybody, it's always big buds. You know, it's a, and you don't yeah. see the male. The male has no. The male just provides the pollen sometimes, but now you know there's a lot of feminized stuff going. So, but I love it. I think she is good. Well, we I, love the pollen too. Yeah, gentlemen. Out <laughs> we love the pollen too. Um, uh, yeah. Definitely, all respect to the pollen. Um, uh, you know, I think uh, in this particular case, uh, the female is just more present. <laughs> yes, no <laughs> in, doubt about in, it. In our consciousness with this plant, and I mean, I think that's a good thing because I, I, I think that the female's not as present in the overall you know consciousness of of patriarchal society (laughs) yeah Uh, so you know maybe having it in the consciousness of cannabis society will you know start to create that transformation we were talking about earlier in the program yeah i think the transformation is happening i think we're on the journey right now and it's it's far from over i think that we have a long way to go and i want to thank you so much for being on the show today thanks for celebrating 420 with us thanks for coming and giving us a history on 420 because it was very interesting uh really appreciate that and uh make sure uh everyone you go check out um andrew d'angelo at on on twitter is it at uh what is your twitter handle yeah it's andrew under slash d'angelo and same same on ig there you go. IG, make sure you follow him on IG. Make sure you uh, visit the Last Prisoner Project. Um, yeah, we really thank you. Thank you. Can't thank you enough for being on the show, man. Really appreciate it. Hope, we hope to have you again sometime. We can talk thanks, about cannabis thanks, for Dave. hours. Thank you, man. Take thanks, it easy. everybody out there. Happy 420, yeah. everybody. Yeah. Let's Peace roll it up. Peace. Bye. Bye. Whenever I can, don't need no crutch. I'm so keyed up, so the joint be burning my hand. Next time I roll it in a hamper to burn slow, so the ashes won't be burning in my hand, bruh. Fuji's get hit, but they know they got a pitch and bent. I roll a joint that's longer than your extension. Cause I'll be damned if you get high off me for free. Hell no, you